Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, you're in the darkness tonight, but otherwise, how are you doing? I Darkness, hello darkness, my old friend, is where I am right now, and as well as... Um, how I'm feeling in terms of JMU football's prospects moving forward. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I said I tweeted that I'd be positive today. I'll try and be <laughs> positive. Um, other than that, I'm doing great. We have ourselves a nice limited edition, limited release, Blood Orange Ghosts. Oh. We're drinking tonight on the podcast. Really solid stuff. Highly recommend if you can find this. If you're in Harrisonburg, you know Richmond, uh, Charlottesville, anywhere that a three notched is pouring some ice cold ones go ahead and check it out it is fantastic but i'll let i'll let uh bennett talk the rest of our three notch plug yeah well they got minuteman mondays even though you didn't give me my scroll today they got minuteman mondays and uh, <laughs> every monday those three dollar minuteman pints we're not taking advantage of that which is sad but every wednesday they got game nights which i don't think we'll be there for either but five dollar flagship pints on those we'll be there for the normal beers right we don't get any fun promotions when we go i guess on our <laughs> on our, our saturday trip well, i should probably email them that we're coming if if we want to do anything there yeah. I, I guess we got to figure that out too I, I doubt a live podcast would carry much when maybe like a recording of the podcast in the tap room i don't know who knows but it's uh i'm excited to go there excited to have some of their beers and it's a good find by you with the uh the blood orange yeah fantastic i love me some ghosts um, I have a few other really good Richmond beers. Richmond has some a really solid brewery scene. And if you have if you didn't know already, Three Notched is now part of that fantastic brewery scene in Richmond. Just opened up at the beginning of this season. An awesome tap room that they have over here in Richmond. I think it's off of Broad Street. It's over um like when you like I, I won't try to explain it. I'm bad with with, with Richmond <laughs> streets, but it's 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 kind of in the hub of stuff over near um I'll stop trying. Scott's edition. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all sports betting needs this season. Last Saturday, Bennett, I went zero and six on my college football bets. That's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I if you flip it, if you inverse it, if you faded me, you had a hell of a weekend. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Wish they could have told me that uh, Florida State was going to lose to Stetson. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest, and it's always the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events. Whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, college basketball, college football, even golf, head on over to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag. To join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. You make a first deposit. Let's say it's 100 bucks, They'll give you $50 for free right into your account. All you have to do is use promo code BELIEVE. That's promo code B-L-E-A-V. BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And it is a fantastic weekend. A fantastic way to start this podcast. As we can break down Louisville. Yes, we can. Tough loss, three losses in a row, 34 to 10. It was tied 10 to 10 at halftime. Dukes were were hanging in there, but they end up losing this game 34 to 10. They're outscored 24 to nothing in the second half. Kind of got out of hand toward the end of the third, early fourth. 
kind and, of. and that final quarter was kind of what it was. I, you know, I think I might've tuned out there were the last few minutes and then watched it back. But what was kind of your, your initial takeaway from, from this game, which featured uh, 52 passing yards for the Dukes and four total completions. That Todd still hurt and that the lack of transparency from Kurt Signetti, I think hurt him more than he anticipated. I think if he was fully transparent leading into that game, letting everyone know that we're really banged up on the offensive line, you know, Todd, he's going to be our best option on Saturday, but he's not going to be able to, he's not going to be 100%. Um, I think that really would have helped Signetti in that scenario. Um, also, my initial reaction right when we got out of that game was, wow, that coaching was terrible. There was no adjustments. That game plan was abysmal. We can talk more about the game plan. It was abysmal. But it wasn't abysmal for, I think, the reasons we necessarily thought it was going into it. I think it was terrible second downs, which is weird to hear. Like, first downs were good. Third downs weren't terrible. But, I mean, overall, I think they're three of their last 30 on third down attempts, which just, like, isn't a good. They were three for 13 against Louisville, 0 for 17 against Marshall. So just not a good stretch here as of late. They now convert 34% of all their third downs on the season, which is one of the worst in the nation. Um, but I was kind of just – I was just kind of bummed. And, like, I I know I know coming into it, if you told me that this was going to be the scenario in the Louisville game and, like, what their record was going to be, I'd take it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, knowing what the ceiling of the team was, it just seems like we've come a long way from the Arkansas State game. Yeah, it's it's tough to go five and zero and then lose three in a row, and in those three, you're either tied or leading at halftime in all of them. I think that's that's kind of a tough pill for fans to swallow, understandably. So, okay, so I, I want to go back to this Santeo stuff. So you, so Kurt Signetti says after the game, when somebody asked like, "Hey, I think it might have been Noah," but somebody asked about the um, the play calling and why there were so few passes. They only threw fifteen passes compared to gonna pull up the things 36 36 runs runs. so and some of the passes were late in the game like early on and they had like multiple third and long runs that didn't make a lot of sense so there's a question about Santeo's health and like hey is he still hurt basically and Signetti says that he's fine so you you don't believe that he's fine you look at that game plan you look at how Todd played you see a 10 yard under throw on a ball that he's completing seven times out of ten early in the season, you're, you're telling me he's fine. Like, this is a question to you. I'm not trying to like be sassy or anything like, like, Oh, I don't, I don't think he's fine. Yeah, I know. Like, it's just, yeah, there's no way like, and this is going to hurt Signetti this season, I think. And maybe, maybe it's, that's too much of a knee jerk reaction, but by treating your injuries like this, it, it's hurting you. Cause now you tell me he's fine. Not only is Todd Santeo suiting up, which like, Maybe this is my old, like an old meathead football type of take I have on this. But if you're playing in the game, I expect you to compete. I expect you to be able to complete the passes that need to be completed. We'll talk about Zach Horton dropping two inexcusable balls early on that may have hurt some things. But like Centeno's not hitting open receivers. Centeno isn't necessarily pushing it down the field. The the quick passing worked later in the game, but it was just weird. Why are you taking it out of your like? You're playing an ACC school that. I think I just went out for a second. You just beat up on Wake Forest. You're you're telling me your game plan is we're gonna we're gonna outman them. No. Yeah, I thought that was a confusing strategy for him to run. I think I'm coming back through my sound. That's my fault. 
No, no. I'm confused. Uh, Do your mic unplug? Yeah, we're we're figuring it out now once we talk. Should I keep going Should or will it echo? You're good now. Okay. I think um for me with with like the Centeo stuff, it was a confusing plan that like kind of actually worked in the first half, which was impressive. But then did um, it work or did it just not take its full effect? Like I know that's a weird yeah. worded question. Like, yeah, it's gonna work for the first thirty minutes. You gotta gauge a game plan if it's working in the fifty-eighth minute, which it just wasn't. You know, it's it's you couldn't really expect it to work for the entirety of the game. So it was it was confusing. Like you can't Louisville's defense is way too good to be like, we're only gonna run the ball, which is kind of what it seemed like the plan was. And there's there's the injury question, I think is a good point. I guess we can stay there for a minute in terms of like his transparency. Because it's it's mostly like perception, right? With the fans, he doesn't have to say anything or whatever. But there's no competitive, like Louisville prepared for Centeno. So there's no a healthy yeah. Centeno. There's no competitive advantage to to saying like, oh, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be because they're going to prepare for the better quarterback. So if you go out and say like it's Centeno, but he's a little banged up, but he's our best option. I think fans go in with like. You know, if they can hang close, that'd be fun, which I think you realize after the fact. It's just a weird one mid-game to be like, what are you doing? And then afterwards, if you also say that he's fine, then it makes fans have a lot more questions about like, wait, what was that game plan then? Because if that guy is fine, you can't just run it every single play with a stacked box and expect to actually win the game. And it's a stacked box with receivers on the side. So it's not like you have a stacked box and you got like two tight ends and a fullback in there. You know what I mean? Like you don't have enough bodies to block. And also, like, on your passing attempts early on in the game, I referenced the Zach Horton drops. He's wide open. Like, your your routes were working. And even that deep heave down the field that Cynthia was a little short on, like, I don't hate that pass throw. I think he, I think yeah. he was double covered, if I'm not mistaken. But like, There was a spot, like, if he threw it normally into the yeah. outside, he could have fit it in or at least, like, given him a shot. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, your, your pass plays were working, and then – you just were so adamant on not trusting him or his oblique or his shoulder, what, like whatever it was. And even on Twitter, I know I got a little bit in trouble from some JMU fans for being too negative to start that game. And that's why I'm trying uh, to be positive too. today. Yeah, we were a little <laughs> negative to start that game. But I think it, like, it was just head scratching. We were, we're told he's healthy. And then your game plan against an ACC team whose secondary, like, is, I mean, de- they're, they're really strong defensively, but like, they could kind of give up some plays in the passing attack, or at least if you were 50-50 split. They were just like 70-30 split. I think, like, for me, the last few games at least are, like, somewhat frustrating, mostly because they could have won two of the three. Like, the Sunbelt ones are more frustrating. And because they could have they... won the Georgia Southern. I know they, like, if we're really, like, p- picking hairs, they probably should like, they should have won two of the three. But at the same time, like, that Georgia Southern game was right there and it was winnable. Yeah, it's like way too many turnovers. The defense got torched. You give up a stupid blocked punt. Like there's so many things where it's like, gosh, it's it's like I know that like five and three at the beginning of the season, you're like, all right, I'll sign up for it. But at the same time, it's like, man, they could be seven and one. Like they could yeah. be really good. The Louisville game, there were just there were a few things like, I mean, I'm not that mad that they lost, really, to be honest with you. Like Louisville's really good and JMU's pretty banged up. So it's not like a huge shock that they would lose to a good ACC team. But it's frustrating because they had some some plays and decisions that didn't make a lot of sense. Like the relying on the runs, like on third and long, was weird. 
Um, no one's really asked about Kalon Black. I guess he's still on a carry count or a touches count. Because like, oh, the one drive when they use him, they score a touchdown. And the rest of the game, it's like he's on the bench. I want to you, – you bring up third downs. They didn't run it as much as you thought they would have on third downs. So I'm going to give you the third down breakdown for this entire yes. game. Third and nine, first drive. It's converted because of the targeting call on Todd. Yeah. Which was like – it was targeting 100%, but it was also like such a late flag that I think all Jamie fans were like, what's happening? Then from there, third and three, incomplete. Third and six was a run, but they were planning to go for it on fourth, so I don't hate that. The issue is then on fourth and one, you run and you get stuffed, which is a bad look. Third and four, complete for seven. Third and six, complete for 20 yards. Then it's halftime. Next, and this is, I think this is why us as JMU fans were like, they're running it on third and longs this entire game. Why the F are you doing this? It's because the first two drives, which is when the game is still in reach, it's third and 10. This is your first drive of the first half. You're already, I think they scored on their opening drive. So you're down at this point. Third and 10, you run it for seven yards. Then the very next time you get the ball, third and five, you run it for one yard. And then from yeah. there, third and 15, incomplete. Third and 11, incomplete. Third and eight, incomplete. Third and 13, complete for 18. Third and five, incomplete. So like they, they had to throw it a lot on third down. They did, but they had another one on the first drive. It was like a third and nine from the third Louisville. Third and six that they ran it, and they got, and they went for it on fourth down? No, no, before that, in the first quarter, the first drive, there's another one in there. On, um, They had the third, in, they had the targeting, and then there's one more on that drive. Oh, there was? Where it was a third and nine from the Louisville 20, and they ran it with Palmer for like two yards and kicked a field goal. And it was like, Why? Just do like, why give up on the drive when you're at the 20? That's what was confusing and sort of okay, yeah, played yeah. into it. And then the other ones you had mentioned too that were like, so they threw it a lot on third down, but like to have two or what is it, three third down? It was down. two to start the second. And that was, I think that's what yeah. hurt me the most. And it's in a, at a point in the game where like, all right, we've gone off script. Like we, okay, yeah. the script kind of worked in the first half. And the script, mm-hmm. you know, is the plays that you come in that you want to run. Like these are your first 15, 20 plays. And, and for the most part, you you went to the script. Then the halftime script, you're coming out of half. And that was your script, third and ten, and you're running it? When the game's right. still in the balance? And then the next drive, okay, third and ten, you run it for seven. It was third and long. The way you've been passing it, it hasn't really been working out. I get it. Okay, let's try and catch them off guard and see if we can get a quick ten. Then the next drive, it's third and five, and you run it again. That's the one where I'm just like, Okay, you threw the white. That's the white flag. That's the surrender right there. You don't want. You don't want to win this game. It didn't make sense. And then the thing at the end, so the presser was kind of electric. To be honest with you, it was only like six minutes. Didn't Signetti say shit at one point during the presser? Twice. Too? Well, he said that at least. He said that at least once, maybe twice. And then we said we also got like our ass kicked or something was in there too. So there was there was some cursing going on, which was fun. And then he had another one. Um, well, he, his opening statement was that they here, I'll read it. He goes, it's a pretty simple synopsis. Okay. With two minutes to go in the half, we're up three points in the last 32 minutes. We were physically dominated and that's it. Period. It was like, kind of, kind of, but at the same time, if you think you're physically dominated, wouldn't you try like some schematic stuff other than like, what if we ran it up the gut on third and nine? Like, that's, what's frustrating. It was like, they just kicked our butts. Like, that- you Show me a little fight, though, like schematically. 
That was, we were texting about this where you're like, I get what he's saying. And then I think I turned your opinion on it pretty quickly. Or maybe I misread your text. But I was just like, yeah, if you're being out-dominated, though, don't try to out-dominate the team that's out-dominating you. Why don't you, like, get tricky with it? Why don't you do quick passes? Why don't you do screen? Like, they're being aggressive. They're going to try and clog every run late. Run a screen pass. That's what they teach you in Madden 101. The screen pass to Kalon Black went for 20 yards. The one they set up to Zach Horton that hit him in the chest and he dropped was going to go for like at least 40. a first down. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. It was just like, it felt like they could have been a little more, I guess, less predictable. And the, the thing that like some of my friends that I have in like group chats complain about is like when JMU is matched up with a team that they deem to be like even or close to even, the, the plan doesn't really change. The plan almost every time they play a game, and it, it kind of seems like this, under Signetti is like, we're going to win the line of scrimmage. And if we do that, we can win. And like, they have changed things up in terms of like Cole Johnson threw for a gazillion yards and a lot of touchdowns. Centeno like opened the season with a six touchdown game. So it's not like they only pound the ball, but there are times where it feels like they're maybe too reliant on like, if we don't have that physical edge up front, there's not like a backup plan. It's like, I don't know. I just feel like there could be things coaching wise that maybe they do that are a little more creative that give them some, some options. It feels like a lot of times there's reliance on better overall athleticism where it's like, Hey, our guys are more athletic, which they've been in probably four of the five wins this year with app state being closer. Um, and when they play a team that has like similar athletes, I'd like to see them be more creative or at least throw the ball in third and 10 every time. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to hear a couple insane stats from the game? Hit me. So in this game, in the first half, four of the first flat five plays of drives were runs. Mm-hmm. So they were just really dedicated to running the ball. And in the second half, when you're down, you know, at some points of that second half, multiple scores. Yeah. Four of the first, four of the six first plays of drives were runs. So they really didn't deviate from the script too much, which is mm-hmm. kind of jarring to see. But at the end of the day, that first play of the drive wasn't the issue. They were averaging 4.2 yards per gain on first down. So they were seeing, on average, second and 5.8, which isn't amazing, but it's also not terrible. Then Mm -hmm. on third down, they were averaging seeing third and 8.1, which means they were, on average, losing yards on second down to then see third and eight. They were went and then the kicker of it all, they were one of nine for the entire game on passes more than five yards. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's frustrating, right? Because they kept putting themselves in third and long. And it's they weren't trying like when they had their touchdown drive, they converted a couple third downs with passes. One of them was third and four, one of them was third and six. So it's it's like when you're in a little bit of a more manageable spot, you can hang in there. And the the catch to that is when you have a second and six, I think in the coach's mind, it's like, oh, let's run it again. Let's get three yards and it's third and three. But when the defense goes, oh, they're going to run it again, (laughs) then they send everyone in the box. And instead of getting those three yards or losing yards where you need to do some sort of pass to change it up if you're physically capable. So that was kind of frustrating. Their first four second down calls of the second half were runs. Like they were so predictable. Another fun fact, for the second week in a row, the rushing success rate dwarfed that of what the overall offensive success rate was. Yeah. Which I think in this game just shows how bad the passing attack was, which you cannot tell me that Todd Santeo was hurt. And that was the offensive passing game plan you had. Yeah. (laughs) 
it's really just confusing to to how it worked. And somebody asked this during the game. I forget who it was, um, but I was interested in your take. Sort of what does it say that Centeo at for four for 15, 52 yards, they believe that that's the better option. What does that tell you about the quarterback room? That it's bad. That outside of Todd Centeo, it's bad. That an FBS transfer is the most likely route for this team to be successful in 2023. Do you think... Do you think Billy Atkins starts another game in his Jamie career? No, I think Billy Atkins transfers. What Signetti has said about him, what Signetti's press conferences have been around <laughs> Billy Atkins, if I'm him, I'm in the transfer portal tomorrow. <laughs> it's hard to see him starting another game, like, ever. Like, I mean, I would be cool if he did, because I I don't know. Like, that would probably mean that he's obviously developed a lot. But it's it's super weird when, yeah, he goes on and he's like, he's not a good practice player. And if he ever learns how to practice well, he could be a good prospect. It's like, it's not like this kid's like a sophomore in high school. Like, that's, he's been in your program for two years. And you're telling me he's not, a, I don't know, it's some weird, weird stuff. And then for them to be like, we'll go with the guy whose entire right side, oblique and shoulder is injured. That's our option. It's just like the, the right-handed quarterback's right side doesn't work. And that, we'll also- go, that's better than that. And not only were they, like, afraid to pass it because his entire right side wasn't working, they were, like, hesitant to even have him take a hit. Yeah. He wasn't sacked in the game, but that wasn't because the offensive line was playing, like, this amazing pass protection. It's because I think the longest he held it for was maybe two seconds. Yeah, and then, like, it's got to be hard for him, too, right? If you're Santeo, where it's like you want to uncork a pass, and it's like, okay, my shoulder hurts, so maybe I'll do a little more twisting. It's like, oh, wait, my oblique is pulled. So it's like, what are you just supposed to like really drive with your legs? Like, I don't know how he's supposed to. It's all elbow, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another injury coming. I don't know like what he's supposed to do in that situation. It, like it all stinks that he's not healthy and that they're down some, some linemen and things like that. And Reggie Brown went down with an injury at receiver, but I don't know. I feel like there were some game plan things. I also think Louisville's pretty good. Um, I was impressed though with like the defense, especially the defensive front for yeah, keeping yeah. them in the game as long as it did. This defense is really good. Yeah. Like that that game this Louisville game just to me like really cemented that it, the secondary may have had a bad game against Georgia Southern, but overall like this defense from from back to front, from front to back, from left to right, right to left, I think they're one of the best defenses we've seen in quite some time. The stats aren't going to bear it out because they are playing better competition, but for all things considered, this defense has been amazing kept them in the Marshall game and kept them in this Louisville game. And it, yeah. Love James Carpenter on the defensive line. He's been phenomenal. You got to eat your words from the preseason, huh? Well, I think my concern was more so the, the depth and not specifically him in terms of him being, he didn't I, catch I, I had concerns. Though. He I did had catch concerns. a stray then. <laughs> he did catch a stray. That's fair. But I didn't realize he was going to be this good. But I think the concern too, is like in that game, he, he's playing like all of the snaps. Did you see the one when he subbed out, the one sequence when he subbed out? Oh, God, no. Second half, I think, and he made like three or maybe second quarter. He made like a few big plays in a row. It was grinding and then like kept tapping his helmet to come out and he came on. (laughs) He was like screaming at the sideline for not subbing him out earlier. And Signetti (laughs) came over. He's like, you got to go four plays in a row or something. Like, this is how we've always done it. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. But it was funny because it's a spot where like, if they had another guy or two that they feel good about, he, you know, wouldn't have to like play out of his mind just to, to have him hang in the game. So I think that's an area where 
Like they returned some really good defenders in multiple spots, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go into the portal and get like legitimate talented defensive linemen and things just to make it a really deep room. Cause I, I think Signetti's kind of fair in saying that uh, they need more depth because I think some of the guys they have there uh, maybe aren't ready to play a ton of minutes against like top tier group of five or an ACC team quite yet. That's fair. That's fair. But it's also frustrating when, when Signetti goes it, like, Oh, we got bullied where it's like a little of both. We're like, I hear you on the depth, but like, give me something it, creative offensively where it's like, Hey, we went down swinging. It's also a little weird to me because you have the COVID, like you aren't as behind in scholarships as you would have been if you did this move pre COVID. And it's like, he keeps saying his depth is an issue. And it's like, I get it is, but instead of being like 40 scholarships behind, you're only like 15, 10, like you are still behind. You're allowed to like, I get that excuse. But at the same time, you've used that excuse. I think one too many times at this point. I think when he says it, he doesn't mean numbers. He means talent. Like, That's, I think he, yeah, he I think he, he has yeah, players he who, means, yeah. I think he has guys who could play against Delaware. Like, he recruited them essentially to play against Delaware. That's, now it's like you're playing, point. you're playing like Marshall, and it's like, wait a second. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has kind of like a massive roster overhaul in the offseason. Not like overly massive, but where he goes in and like sits down with players and is like, realistically you might not play like you know what i mean and those guys yeah. might look elsewhere because coaches kind of do that and they are the portal so I, I could see them adding depth pretty quickly over time but i don't know it was it was certainly frustrating on some accounts but maybe not the not the worst thing in the world that they're they're five and three they're still alive in the east which is kind of fun yeah i mean i mean at the end of the day that game meant nothing that game yeah. was meaningless how cool would it have been to go on the road and beat an acc team would have been awesome but at the end of the day it doesn't mean anything and then they win this saturday against marshall they win next saturday against georgia state play marshall I mean, again did i say marshall <laughs> oh to you this weekend play georgia state i think we beat him if we played him again with Santeo. <laughs> i don't know about this banged up Santeo because they'd be getting home and they'd be teeing off on his right side they are pretty darn good but i think i mean this team I, I don't think this. I know this. They're still in the driver's seat to win the Sun Belt East. Like they control their own destiny. They win out. They win the Sun Belt East, which would be pretty darn cool. So I do want to ask you. I want to. I want to read a stat and I want to hear your thought to this. Oh God, this is going to get me in so, trouble. I don't think it will. They're five and three. So I, one of the wins is over Norfolk State, which I've I've thrown out for the purpose of this stat because they're like a one and eight FCS team. So. Put some respect on the MEAC. Okay. Well, Middle Tennessee, App State, Texas State, Arkansas State. So those are the four FBS wins they've got. Okay. The three losses, Georgia Southern, Marshall, Louisville. Sagarin ratings, they're not like the end-all, be-all, but they're kind of fun to look at because they include FCS teams, which a lot of things don't. So their average, the average Sagarin ranking of a team JMU is defeated this year. You're going to tell me it, they beat up on bad teams and lose ex- to good teams. Yes, excluding Norfolk State is 116.5. What's North- with Norfolk State? <laughs> I don't I don't even include them. With, with them would be significantly higher. And then the average for the losses is 65.3, which is skewed a little bit uh, with Louisville. Otherwise, it would be 87. But it's it's kind of fair. I feel like we probably overhyped them significantly when they were 5-0. and it kind of gives me vibes of, was it the 2019 <laughs> season? 
Was that the <laughs> no, year? No, it was 2018, right? Yeah, it was 2018. Yeah. It was my senior year. And they started like 4-0. and And it was the first time Richmond was actually bad that they played them. So they blew them out like 62-3. to And then all of a sudden we're like, they're 4-0. and They have Elon for homecoming. Is this the <laughs> best team we've ever seen out of JMU? Fast forward, you're losing to Colgate and Mike Houston's one foot out the door <laughs> as the season's ending. <laughs> kind of gives me those vibes. I mean, and at the same time, like you look at back at like kind of how bad App State has become this season. They're only 5-4. And, like, and you're like... Oh, it took a 28-point comeback to take to take down, like, a middle tier. I mean, we say that as a team in the middle of a transition. But, like, to take down a middle tier Sunbelt team, Arkansas State's in the middle of a rebuild with Butch Jones as their yeah. head coach. Like, yeah, you probably should win that game. Middle Tennessee, they didn't game plan, apparently. It like, also turns out they stink. Yeah, and the Miami game like made us think we're like, oh, that's right. a good win. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god! Not only did we beat App, who beat Texas A and M, right. who also turns out to suck, but Middle Tennessee <laughs> beat Miami, who also turns out to just suck monkey balls. And it's just like, whoa! And now we're sitting back and we're like, oh, maybe those wins weren't as good as we thought they were because their wins against people who we thought were better weren't actually that good. So now the wins that we thought were against them that were good weren't actually that good. And our only true good win is a road win against Arkansas State. Huh. Yeah, it's like they haven't necessarily had any any overly impressive. The App State one's still pretty good on the road. But five and three is kind of like not – it feels like it shouldn't be that unexpected when you look at like their average win. Like is it's 116.5 in the FBS wins in Sagarin and Northern Iowa's 117. So it's like, yeah, we would expect them to beat Northern Iowa. You know? Yeah. Whereas like point. the 65.3 is like the South Dakota State, North Dakota State range. So playing an average of like, I don't know, the best team in the FCS. Like we would be an FCS national title contender this year, but not a guarantee to win it is sort of my take. So like we're as good like as we've that. been in some previous years. We just got to really build a little way to like ration, like not to rationalize, but like put it into perspective. I was really. Yeah. And, and I think at the end of the day, and I know we say this every podcast, if you had told me this was where we would be eight weeks into but 10 weeks into the season, I guess, because two bye weeks, because that makes sense. Two bye weeks, 10 weeks, and we're five and three. I'd take it in contention for a Sunbelt title. And, and in all seriousness, maybe I'm overhyping the team again, but in a solid spot to win these remaining games. I think they can. Because, like, they could have beat Marshall with Billy Atkins. They could have beat Georgia Southern with a healthy Thompson Teo. And a gazillion, okay. And a gazillion turnovers in that game and mistakes. So if they can, the, the ODU game feels huge, like massive. Which plug will be there. We will be there, which is very exciting. Yes. And that's a perfect segue. What What's so massive about ODU this week? If you win it, you guarantee a winning record. Huge. Big deal. Right, pretty nice to have a winning record. You're bowl eligible. <laughs> You're bowl eligible. You get your first win in football program history over ODU, even though it's only the third meeting. So, like, okay, but that would be cool. You start and then, the royal rivalry out with a dub, right? And then it sets up. You got two home games against Georgia State and Coastal, and if you win the two home games, you win the East. So it's like there's a lot at stake 
in this game. I know some people have also talked about the recruiting implications, which is always good if you can beat in-state teams. I didn't realize Jamie had won 16 consecutive games against in-state opponents. Neither had I, but I guess when you look at it, William and Mary, Richmond. There was a one VMI mixed in, and there's like three or four Norfolk states. But it's still, still, <laughs> it's still 16 in a row. And uh, you get ODU at 17, and then you open next year, week two, with with UVA. So you can get it up to 18 with wins over ODU, UVA, and a bunch of FCS teams. Not too bad. This is a question kind of tug-in-cheek, but could this be the fourth straight win against the 757 area code? Got <laughs> feet. How exciting is that? That's big. We should bring up those old stats this week and like fire that out and see if we can get some ODU fans pissed off. You got some uh, App State fans mad at the basketball tweet. We'll get into basketball yeah. in a little bit. A but... message to the nation. They're like, what message is this? <laughs> what message? You beat Valley Forge. Thanks. I also like the uh, one Valley Forge women's player like sneak dissing her own team where she was That's... like, um, you beat a D3 <laughs> school who's not even good. I think that was like a troll account or something. I don't know what that was. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was a weird one. But anyway, huge game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a game that is big. Uh, this is a game that's large. This means a lot on the uh, old schedule. I don't know what to expect with this game though, because ODU's three and six, and we'll break down hey. some of the advanced stats in the three notch preview for this breakdown. But like, they're three and six, and their their wins. I know you know this, but for the listener, it's Virginia Tech. Arkansas State and Coastal in dominating fashion. Yeah, they they could they could be the best three and six team in college football. <laughs> <laughs> those those are like you would like those wins. They're not bad at all, and they lost on a last second field goal to UVA. They're not a pushover. I'll say that about them. They're not a pushover. I think they try hard, um, but I think they're severely lacking in terms of like ability. Yeah, Hayden Wolf, not the best quarterback. He's had a tough year, yeah. Uh, he does have a really solid rating, but we all know passer rating's a made-up stat. Um, he has a 56% completion rate, which just isn't good, but he's a 14-4 to touchdown interception ratio. Um, Blake Watson is their bell cow, a redshirt junior from Queens. Uh, he has over 700 yards rushing, averages six yards per touch, five touchdowns on the year. But other than that, they don't really have that many other guys. Like, it's the Hayden Wolf and Blake Watson show and then receiving. You got Ollie Jennings. He's a freak. He's good. He is. He has 54 receptions for nearly 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. He'll give issues to JMU's secondary. But then other than that, the next closest receiver is Javon Harvey with 23 catches. Redshirt sophomore, hometown product from Norfolk, Virginia. Just one touchdown and just 371 yards. So, like, a massive drop-off. And they're the 71st. I mean, their offense isn't terrible. I mean, they're not an overall terrible team now that I look at it. They're 66th in EPA. Yeah, I think they stink. But they have they have some guys who can make some plays. Jennings against ECU this year in a loss had eight catches for 200 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> He's awesome. But other than that, I don't think they have a lot offensively. They just kind of, like hang in games like I don't, I don't know how to describe it like you look at the stats and you're like oh they don't seem like they should really be good the, and then you look at the scores and you're like they just kind of never seem to go away like they just sort of weirdly lurk in these games so they're i think they're well coached with ricky ronnie 
which I always think should be like rain or something without spelled, but then people say it and I'm like, Oh, weird, but he's a, he's a decent coach. So I don't know. They're, they just seem to sort of lurk in games. What worries me about this game is that they are going to become so one dimensional, uh, rushing the ball. They're hundred and third in the nation in terms of efficiency, passing the ball. They're 75th. So like not a great jump up, but like they are markedly better in terms of passing the ball and their rush attack is so bad. And Jamie's rush defense is so good that like just because Jamie's strength is going to play there, like they're going to go one dimensional into the one part of Jamie's defense that can be susceptible to big plays. And then defensively, um, they're really good against the run and they're all right against the pass. So hopefully Todd's oblique gets better and they can actually pass the ball. Cause if not, and they're running into a stacked box against the 32nd, most efficient rush defense in the nation, we might, we might be in for a long day in ODU in Norfolk. I just can't, I have such a hard time seeing Jamie losing this game. I could see it cause it's like a low scoring one. That's a battle and they hit some deep pass plays or whatever. I just, they, they haven't done a lot that like, really impresses me like they i don't think they're gonna be able to throw the ball i mean sorry run the ball at all like odu i don't think has any oh yeah they won't jmu for all like we've now played louisville there's enough of sample size they're the number one rush defense in the nation according to expected points added every time you rush the ball negative 0.362 points added yeah so like that's pretty good i'd say <laughs> yes. you, you look at <laughs> you look at odu like Teams run the ball on it on them a lot, so they're like in terms of how many rushing yards they give up per attempt, they do a nice job hanging in there. But I just feel like maybe you just pound it over and over and over and over and over against them, and you could you could make some things happen at least possibly. So I don't know. I feel I feel like they're going to be okay. So that leads us into, of course, this week's three notch preview. ODU, here we come. We say that because we're going down to Norfolk for this game. Shout out, Brian, getting us tickets for this one. We are hyped for it. But like we just mentioned, that entire breakdown, this game seems iffy. You're all the way on the Monarchs. I think I'm a little – you're all the way – I can't talk. You're all the way on the Dukes. I'm all the way on the Monarchs. And by all the way, I mean they worry me. Like there's legitimate worry that their strengths play into JMU's weakness. Like, JMU will stop the run in this game. ODU will not run it. ODU has a fantastic wide receiver. Hayden Wolf isn't all that bad. But I, you said you said Ricky Rainey's a good coach. Yeah, yeah, he can he can hang in there and do his job. And I think he's he's shown that he's a decent coach. But I don't I don't know that like you know you got Ricky Ronnie out there who's sort of going out and, and scheming things up. Is that going to be enough to beat a JMU team that I think is really good defensively? And ODU at times this year has given up a bunch of sacks. So like Liberty got four against them. Georgia State got six. I think Marshall got three. Marshall just beat them 12 to nothing. Like even with that that deep passing attack. So I think JMU has enough defensively to go out and win. And that's sort of the challenge for the Dukes is like defensively, just go dominate, control a game, score whatever you can, find a way to get out of there with a win, get a little bit healthier ideally that next week and you've got two games at home to close it out, you could win the East. But I don't know if it'll be like a pretty win, but I think the defense can get it. I think – I don't think JMU's defense has scored a point this season for them. This would be a big – I don't think they've – they've had a pick six. Jalen Walker. Walker, the, yeah, six. yeah. Um, quick rapid fire. 
during this three notch preview, I want to hit you with, give me which team has the better insert blank. I'll give you the insert blanks. Which team has the better coach? I'll say it's like a tie. I think Ronnie's going to be coaching a power five team at some point. Running back room. ODU is decent there, but I still think JMU, if fully healthy, has the edge. Otherwise, it's reasonably competitive. Quarterback. I think JMU, healthy, has a big edge. Offensive line. I think JMU's O-line's better. Wide receivers. Receivers, I think, because of Jennings, you could give ODU an edge because they have, like, a game-breaking. Yeah, but correct answer. Defensive line. I like JMU's... I think almost entire defensive unit more. I agree. All right. I, I disagree with quarterback because I don't think Todd's healthy and I'm going to hold this thought until they actually throw the ball further than five yards down the field. Um, love it. Anything else you want to add about ODU? I will say their secondary is not terrible. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we forgot to do last week? Did we not do Sunbelt Pick'em? We didn't do Sunbelt Pick'em, so we're back this week with our Sunbelt Pick'em. Before we move into basketball, because we have to break down what happened with Valley Forge, we have to break down what's happening with the women's team. But first, it's time for the weekly, I mean, the Emmy-nominated Sunbelt Pick'em. It's really cool to hear. Yeah, I I forgot to tell you that. The weekly Sunbelt Pick'em, I don't know what our records are. We'll see what happens by the end of the year. Georgia Southern's Kyle Van Treese nearly at 3,000 passing yards, folks. Yeah. He needs 18 more yards, and he has 3,000 passing yards. This week, he's going to get that against Louisiana down at Cajun Field. Georgia Southern, Louisiana. Who do you got? The UL Raging Cajuns are three-point favorites. Surprised by that line a little bit, to be honest with you. But I'll take Georgia Southern just because I'm all in on them, and I think they will be going to a bowl. So I'll say that they, they win it here and get bowl eligibility. I agree. I'm on Georgia Southern as well. UL Monroe, Georgia State. Georgia State, a massive uh, 13.5-point favorite. They've won four of their last five. That game that we're going to also on the 19th (laughs) is sneaky tough now. So I think Georgia State wins this one too. They win five of their last six, and they they could sneak into a bowl, folks. What does Georgia State run? Their quarterback leads the team in rushing yards? I think he's, like, actually very dangerous, yeah. Okay, awesome. Love that for us. I'm going to go Georgia State as well. That's so scary. UMass, <laughs> Arkansas State. If Jamie loses to ODU, though, they like could have a losing record. So there's some interesting stuff coming here. Uh, UMass, when, Arkansas State is a great game. Remember at the beginning of the year when I was like, there's a real possibility they're going to open 4-0 and then just lose the rest of their games? What if I was just like a game off when that would happen? <laughs> That'll be tough. UMass, Arkansas State. Arkansas State, I think they get right here. They go to three and seven and start to really impress recruits. James Blackman, (laughs) that Florida State transfer, their quarterback, not having a best season. Um, Army Troy. I'm going Arkansas State, too. Army Troy. Army's only three and five. I thought they'd be better this year, so they've kind of let me down. I like Troy, but this game is going to – the total's got to be – is it? It's forty six. That feels way high. I'll say Troy wins, and like Troy might have six. to get thirty eight of those forty six. I don't. Troy's offense is terrible. I can't see this game getting that that high. That seems like a fake line. App Marshall. App a one point favorite against the best defense in the Sun Belt. This is actually a fun one, right? Because App like can't play defense, and Marshall can't play offense. 
but they're like electric on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun one. Um, I don't know. I'll I'll say Marshall. I feel like App's like weirdly dysfunctional, and we don't know it yet. I'm upset that you said that because I was gonna go. I was hoping you were gonna say App because I love Marshall in this game, but this is one of those spots where it's such a toss up. I'm gonna go App. I just have to okay. go against you. All right, fair enough. Texas State, my boys, South Alabama, the Jaguars. South Alabama, big. They're a really good team. Yeah, they are. I've been trying to tell you, but you've been over there on Southern Miss. Southern Miss ain't done nothing but miss this whole season. They're taking on Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers. Southern Miss lost by 28 to Georgia State at home last weekend. Devastating for me. So JMU's going to lose to Georgia State next week. And Coastal had that, what, that Thursday win over App. Is Coastal not a fraud? Were we wrong? <laughs> they're eight. They're eight and one, five and one in Sun Belt play. Uh, that game to finish out the season looks like it's gonna be a. Uh, woo! I really thought they were a fraud. I'll say Coastal wins. I'll say that maybe. In fairness, frauds. Coastal's wreck. I'm gonna say Coastal too because I don't think Southern Miss is good. But in fairness, they barely beat Army. They barely beat Gardner Webb. They won by twelve against Buffalo. Then they blew out Georgia State. Won by four against Georgia Southern. A touchdown at UL Monroe. Got blown out by ODU. And then in the two weeks after that, two possession win at Marshall. One possession win against App State. But they just keep winning. Like, no, I know. And I'm saying, like, after that loss, like, was that, like, a get-right spot? I don't know, man. They're going to lose to us by, like, three scores, though. So, All right. You're right. You're right. All right. And JMU taking on ODU this weekend. Who do you got? I have JMU winning 20 to 10. I have JMU <coughs> 17 to 3. <laughs> what, a, what a thriller. I think this is going to be an ugly, ugly game. I it don't think our offense is going to be all that good. I think it's going to be a slugfest, and the better defense wins. And I think JMU has the better defense. And I think JMU is going to make ODU one-dimensional within the first, like, four plays of the game. So, Big one if they can get it, even if it's ugly. Just get off a losing streak, get to 6-3. and three, And that would make the last two weeks extremely exciting with the chance to win the East. Oh, 100%. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm 100% bought in. I'm, like, 75% bought in right now. The mm-hmm. second they win that game, I'm painting my body and I'm streaking the quad. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. All right. JMU men's basketball moving over to the hardwood real quick. Unless there's anything else you want to add about football. No, I don't think so. No. We'll we'll, we'll hopefully talk about a win next week. I'm, I'm done talking about losses. Um, men's basketball. They opened the season with not just a win. Utter domination against the Valley Forge. Insert their mascot here. Yeah, I mean, people know Valley Forge is an incredibly competitive team. They can run press. They can run zone. They can run man. Uh, they can, you know, they do a lot of different things offensively. Pick and roll. Um, you know, space out shooters. And they just play the Princeton go. style offense. Yeah, they'll go Princeton style, team. and then they'll go sort of fast break. You know. Uh, havoc defense type thing, trying to create opportunities. They do ever a little bit of everything, right? Um, no, I hate that they're playing non D one teams. It's stupid. It was dumb. It was like watching somebody tweeted like you could find five people at UREC who could compete with Valley Forge, and I I bet there are five people in the last two weeks who could have played Division three basketball that have played at UREC. 
So I don't think that's wrong. You could, yes, that I think could beat Valley Forge by like twenty. <laughs> there, like there like some... the difference between a D three player, and I'm not trying to diminish Division three athletics. Love Division three Bridgewater, awesome time. What they do for student athletes is fantastic. But the difference between a D three player and a club player at like JMU is is nothing. It's the same thing. Like they just chose to go to JMU and play club rather than go D three and not get a scholarship. Because some of them like decent number of people like get D three offers and they're just like no. I got one and I'd even play basketball. They said you're (laughs) tall. Could you imagine? (laughs) So funny. I just like your body type. They're like, yeah, I just Uh, you can go on the post and get a couple fouls, eat it up real quick in the middle of the game. All right, coach. But the fact that they have two more of these games is sickening. And I understand that it's like, oh, it's hard to schedule and there's these things and these things and all these things. And it's like I don't I don't care. Don't play three non division one teams and then count them. Just say it's an exhibition. Don't be like, we're one and oh. It's like uh, okay. Like you it's like if you took me to UREC and play together or put me in the AUBC and like have you know Amani dunk on my head and be like, We did it, we're one and oh. <laughs> it's not like they're better than me at Valley Forge, but it's I don't know. It just felt stupid. Nobody from Jamie played over 20 minutes. They cleared the bench. The walk-ons were like creating space, like significant space. Interesting though. Morse didn't start. Do you think that was that's interesting. a sign of things to come? We can break that down. out of all everything in this game. I mean, one thing shows Noah Friedel, Hooper, um, to call yep. Molson. Great to see him come back from his ACL. He's looking good. good. Terrence Edwards ran the one. Fantastic. But I think the story is Morse coming off the bench. Is this a sign of things to come, or do you think this is Morse's spot as just a super six? I think it'd be kind of cool with him coming coming off like as a sixth man who scores a lot. I'm sure he would still play a lot, but it's it's cool to see that level of scoring potentially coming off the bench. And then Ihanacho and Strickland were out with injury, and I think buying said it'll be a couple weeks for them, a few yeah. weeks for them maybe. That sucks on Ihanacho because I want to see him. You love Ianacho. He's very versatile, which I like. So I think Strickland's pretty solid too. So when they get those guys back, that'll help a little bit. But um, I like I like what they they did. Fredell didn't miss a shot. Five for five from the floor. Four for four from deep. Three yeah. from three from the free throw line. Look, I know he's shooting these things wide open because Valley Forge can't play defense. But even in warm up lines, you're missing one of those. Yeah, he might make you eat some of those words about replacing Chuck Baldwin like a like a one for one replacement. He seems like he goes out there and like really hunts his shots. So I think he might be uh he might be a more more dynamic offensive guy. So you you're gonna have to watch him play at some point in the next couple of weeks because he's gonna we we will be at one of the games. We'll be able to watch him before then and, and get a look at him. Oh, I'm definitely gonna watch. I just didn't want to watch against Valley Forge. I'll probably watch against Hampton on Wednesday. Okay, well there you 9th, go. That'll that'll be a fun tomorrow. Wednesday. And Damn. I thought, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean I'll probably watch the other games. I just didn't want to waste my time. I'm not gonna watch against Coastal Georgia either. It's not on like the day after Thanksgiving or something. It's like Black Friday, November 25th. Yeah, I'm gonna be yeah. shopping. It's at 11 a.m. too. Is it? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Sure. But yeah, I mean, they had everybody out there was balling out. The walk-ons were good. I thought Roberson, the freshman drill, Roberson was pretty solid. A little raw, a little raw. So I think it's going to take some time. But they asked him about it after the game. Byington was talking about the potential. And he was saying, like, 
you're going to see him now, and then you're going to see him as a junior and be like, whoa. But he's he's got ability. He knocked down a three-pointer. He had a double-double, 10 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks. Again, it's Valley Forge. But the athleticism is there. The length is there. He already looks like stronger than he did when I watched like his high school clips, which isn't saying a lot. It's like two, three-minute YouTube videos. But <laughs> from also, I can just imagine knows- you with your popcorn next to you and be like, <laughs> I'm about to strap in for some Roberson high school highlights. <laughs> Give it to me. And then like four minutes later, you're like, well, that was, well, it's, it's also, they're always like, they're always those weird accounts. So it's like two minutes and 30 seconds. The first like 40 seconds is just like a rap song and like Roberson warming up. You don't even get you know, like the actual <laughs> game. So it's like getting them hype. So that, that wasn't the best, but they're, they're athletic. Mezzi offer them looks like a slightly larger version of Justin Amati. Just like Amadi, if Amadi had like 10 more pounds in an inch. So I thought that was like, okay, we got another guy who's who can play in the post a little bit. Sule um, missed some shots, but good to see him back, and he's pretty good. I don't know. I feel like they could be really, really good, but this game also is hard to actually read anything. So two of the most shocking things from this box score. Yeah. Julian Wooden didn't miss from the field. Okay. Went two for two. <laughs> he only took three shots. Went two for two from deep, though. That's big. Yeah, big that is time nice. for him. The other most shocking thing is Holman Smith tied for the team lead in shots. With I do, I do love him being like, <laughs> you put me in, I'm getting buckets, coach. Like, <laughs> well, no, the best part is he went two for ten. <laughs> I just love that he was putting up shots. That's awesome. <laughs> and then you had, uh, you had Shane Feeden who went up there. Did, and... How did Nessie offer him get a tech? <laughs> he, got he got a tech. He definitely, he was definitely, I'm sure it was hanging on the rim because they were, some of them were kind of hanging on for a while. <laughs> okay. There was, it was mostly dunks. Like I turned it on. It was mostly like, like Valley Forge would turn the ball over. It would be four Dukes in transition against one guy. Sometimes they would overpass it. Like there was one possession where they did like three around the back passes and then like missed a layup. It was like, what are you doing? <laughs> did you, you see the one clip? I think it was Holman Smith. It may have been another player. But like the inbound pass came in and they like Jamie easily just intercepted it and then was just it was right before halftime and they were right outside the paint and the time was ticking off and like the player looked around like am I supposed to shoot it Valley Forge isn't like converging yeah. on me and like there's five seconds left in that he just puts up a shot then like looks back at the bench and is like what what am I supposed <laughs> to do and like they're up seventy six to ten. <laughs> Just such a stupid game. It's, I mean, they played those like secret scrimmages like 12 Shh. times more competitive. They're secret. They're secret. Like, those are so much better for preparation. This one, we're just like allowed to watch. Yeah, it's sad. It You open the season up against Valley Forge and you win by 123 to 38. I'd be upset if you didn't win that game like that. Like, that's something you need to do. And someone else tweeted this. I forget who exactly it was, but they were like, It'd be better off just playing an inner squad scrimmage. Yes, it really would be. Like, it's just a waste of time. It's a waste of every. It's a waste of broadcasting. It's a waste of money in terms of getting everyone in there into the building and having to have RMC. Like, just a waste <laughs> overall in every single facet. <sighs> but I'm excited yes. for the season. I think I'm. I am excited seeing what Noah Friedel did. So seeing what this team offensively can do. And I know we talk about Valley Forge. It's one thing to get the open shots because the team is bad. It's another thing, in my opinion, to then hit mm-hmm. the open shots. So it's really great to see Wooden's perfect from the floor with two threes. It's awesome to see Friedel. He's just an absolute lethal shooter. 
It's it's interesting to see Morse come off the bench. There's things to garner from this. If Edwards is the true one, I'm excited for it. Have Vado as a super six. It's going to be an exciting season. Yeah, and they've got some lineups where they can go like five guys that are all six six. Gigantic, man. The gigantic lineup. <laughs> I shout out to Grant Johnson for being a good sport about that real quick. He did tweets that he tweeted the starting lineup for the second half. It was like six six, six seven, six eight. And I quote tweeted and I said, I wonder what would happen if there was a six nine player on the floor. And he said it'd be like very gigantic. And I was like, I, I like that. I, that's a I also point. like going back to Grant. He had the Centeo scoop oh. looking from the hill. Do you see the text that Brian sent us? Oh, yeah. What Signetti said? Yeah, you got, yeah, you got to share that real quick. That's pretty funny. Where Signetti apparently told Grant Johnson today that he, he asked him if he watched practice from the hill <laughs> before they spoke, which I thought was him being a good sport. Because I know there's some Jamie fans who thought he should have been like reprimanded know, and banished from the, the school. So yeah. Signetti's taking it in stride, which is nice to see. Newsflash to everyone about that real quick. He's a media member. He's not a fan. His job is to do that. His job isn't to appease the coaching staff. It also doesn't um, affect Impact the game. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, yeah. and if that was a Todd Santeo, what would have affected something is if he said, man, Todd Santeo can't throw past five yards. Yeah, that would have been. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. He uh, <laughs> looks like they're not going to throw it all. They're doing a lot of third down and runs in this <laughs> scrimmage, apparently. Um, talking about third down runs, Jamie women's basketball opens up with a terrible loss. So Maine, in Maine's defense, Maine won the American East last year, and they were picked up in a second this year. By by terrible loss, I don't mean to the, the to the, like the team okay. itself. You're it, you lose sixty eight to fifty eight, and then sixty sixty to fifty eight. I cannot talk today. I'm so sorry. Um, and then it's the comments after. That's are, where yeah, I. Th- that's where I think this loss gets bad. Okay, real quick. I, the comments are more important than the game, but to give a quick recap, recap of the game, you got a double-double out of Kiki Jefferson, 23 points, 11 rebounds, absolute stud, 8 for 14 from the floor. She's picking up right where she left off. Jamia Hazel, 7 points, 3 of 9 shooting. You need to see more out of her. Claire Neff, Peyton McDaniel combined to go 2 of 6 with just 5 points. You have to see more out of them. Um, and then the rest of the team, did all right, but I mean, it, it's it's feeling like last season. It's a Kiki Jefferson show, and whoever shows up on a random night, and if that's no one, they're going to lose. But the comments after the game were quite worrisome. They were certainly interesting, if nothing else. I'd go worrisome. Ben, do you want to share with the class? Yeah, I will. I will share these comments. So they're from Sean O'Regan, who maybe he was just like ticked after losing. First game, though, some comments that you wouldn't necessarily expect after first game. So this is from Shane Metlin's article in the DNR. So his, his lead quote is from Sean O'Regan. I'm disappointed. I wanted to win the game. Makes sense, right? I don't even want to say we played hard enough to win. Okay. We didn't play hard enough to win. Interesting. But I wanted to win the game. So immediately, like, <laughs> they're, what is it, 40 minutes into the season, I guess? Yeah. And he's uh he's he's displeased with the effort level. That seems weird to have that on a season opener. I have a I have a meme for you. Please refer to the screen. <laughs> Who did this? Who could have done such a thing? What what happened? <laughs> it just doesn't I, I don't know. That's really hard to understand where it's like, you know, they weren't fired up to play. 
Who's that on? I don't know, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and then, okay. So then he had another quote that I think is also worth mentioning. So Shane Metlin did a nice job with, with this because he, he could have been, um, he probably could have been even like less critical. I think he was really fair in his criticism, but he essentially was like, these are the same issues that JMU had last season. Shane Metlin was, was writing about that where they had four assists, which is very low and 15 turnovers, which you don't love to see minus 11 in that ratio. <laughs> and then you also That's terrible. had. That's <laughs> utterly abysmal. Well, then they also were three of 14 from three, which is not good. Which is also and those the same. Were, those were massive problems last season. And it was like all this talk about how they're going to get better there. And so I guess he asked him about it directly. And O'Regan goes, it feels the same, doesn't it? I'm sitting in the staff locker room. And I thought to myself, this feels the same. It's a little bit of Kiki time, which like she almost took over and led them to a win despite no one else doing anything. And then he says, that was me adding that, by the way. So Reagan says it's a little bit of Kiki time time or the, the, the me, the me adding, he said the Kiki time. So Sean O'Regan's final quote here is it's a little bit of Kiki time and she makes baskets, but there wasn't movement again. That was, that was the end of the quote, but, but like for them to say, or for, for him to say, right. For him, for him to go out and be like, yeah, there's, (laughs) there's no offensive movement. I don't know. You had a whole off season to make, the team move up like that feels like it's entirely i don't know i have to i want to see a lot more before i'm like out on this team but are you alarmed by them having the same issues and then yes saying- <laughs> yes i've been called i've been saying is cocho's seat warm for the last three seasons and i feel like finally people are starting to a little bit catch up to this i'm not saying he's a bad coach but his seat there needs to be more pressure put on Coach O for his lackluster performance. You have one of you had the best player in the Colonial Athletic. You arguably have I I don't I'm saying arguably because I don't know the the landscape of women's basketball in the Sun Belt as of right now. But arguably the best player in Sun Belt Conference in Kiki Jefferson. He's only one of the best. The you have least. CAA Rookie of the Year Peyton McDaniel who got eight minutes and is still well, coming back. I think back. she's still. I think she's, she's still yeah, coming yeah. back from injury. But also the way you handle that whole injury. She was going to play opening night, and then she was not played opening night, and then all of a sudden she's out for season. That's a little weird. Claire Neff, who's supposed like when she was brought in, was supposed to be like this three-point savant. 0 for 2 from 3, 1 of 1 from inside the arc. Good job, I guess. 12 minutes. Your next biggest scores, 22 minutes from Amira Williams, 1 point. 20 minutes from Steph Odekirk, no points. And Steph Odekirk was a starter. Like... You're telling me that Caroline Germond, a grad student from TCU, led the team with two assists and four turnovers. And she was balling out a little bit. I actually like her. I also okay, had the cool. <laughs> You're not balling out with two assists and four turnovers. I mean, come on, this an old Kenny Brooks team destroys Maine. If Kenny Brooks, if you gave Kiki Jefferson to the Virginia Tech Hokies, they're winning a lot of games in the ACC. I also thought, I saw one tweet, though, that was like, man, they should have written Kenny Brooks a blank check. It's like, that's absolutely not how this works. That's like not something they could have done when he went to Virginia Tech. It was like, he like doubled his salary. They're not going to spend <laughs> like football coach money on the women's basketball coach. So that's yeah. that's not realistic and probably worth noting. Not that you were saying that they should have kept Kenny Brooks, but I think no, the no, comparison. No, but- and I also don't think Coach O is a bad coach. Again, I think like I think he's trying to push a square 
peg into a round hole. I think this is the way JMU has done it. It's been great defense, good ball movement, led by a star. And I don't think that's what this team is. Well, they don't have good ball movement. Exactly. Or like, or or like off-ball movement. They have not, like, they don't have, like, you have Kiki Jefferson. And the way this team is playing, you have to adapt to your team, it feels like, at this point. Because if not, we're going to run into the same issues of last season, which is a team that doesn't know how to get the ball from one player to another without finding its way into the opponent's hands. I think the part that alarms me, too, a little bit is, and we do this with with Byington a little bit, but he kind of weirdly finds ways to make it work. But we're like, (laughs) oh, cool, small ball with with no shooters. (laughs) This one feels like, okay, they're not good at shooting the three-pointer. They turn it over a lot. Yep. Well, well, they must have, you know, like a a go-to post scorer. Nope. nope. Like that's that's not something they have on the roster, which is confusing. Like their post players are are probably a little better defensively. I think Kozlova did some nice things offensively in this game and hit some clutch free throws late. So maybe there's something there, but it's really really hard to be like not a great three-point shooting team even though you've kind of built the roster of guards. This team also only had two players in double digit double digits. Can I give you some some positives and see if they'll change your mind? Yeah, they can. You can try. Okay, okay. So you got Jermond at point guard, who does seem like she can make some some nice passes and handle the ball. Okay, cool. So four I think seven over... from the floor as well, but they, she did have four turnovers. I know, I know. They got to cut those down. But some of it too is like if nobody makes shots, it's hard to get that two assist total up. Like if you're that, hitting an open that's a good point. teammate, that that part sucks. And not um, to take then, anything away from Kiki, when you pass it to Kiki, she's going to take 15 dribbles and then make her shot, which then negates your assist, but yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. She's not like a catch-and-shoot player. She kind of like creates space like gradually and does very well with that. But yeah, it's hard to get like a ton of assists. So I think, I assume Neff is not 100% was kind of my <laughs> the way other. You said that. Well, it's like, I don't know why she would only play 12 minutes if you, uh, he's, was any car like his sunshine or something? I don't know. He has a weird affinity for Claire Neff. <laughs> but he for her he's gone on record like a lot of times being like she's a huge spark plug so for her to only play 12 minutes was kind of weird so i'm assuming she was maybe injured a little bit peyton mcdaniel i think is still coming back so she only got eight minutes she hit one of the three made threes. she was one of one from the three-point range so getting her healthy helps and according to reports which is shane metlin um some preseason stuff kobe king hawea is arguably going to be one of the team's best offensive players. And she doesn't become eligible Jack until like after the semester ends in December. So maybe the offense gets better when it's like a healthier Neff, a healthier McDaniel. And then you get this Texas slash Juco transfer who can fill it up. And you've got, maybe those are three huge contributors and the offense takes a major leap. So this team has nine more games until this amazing offensive player apparently can join the team, roughly nine. Something like that. I think it's mid-December, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know how, you know, a three and seven record looks. They're not going to be three and seven. They have enough cupcakes coming up. Good. A win at Millersville. You're going to lose to Queens. No, they're not. They're not going to lose to Queens. Is Queens women's team good? They're all right. They're not great. 
They're not as good as the men's. Shout out the Queens men's team yeah. real quick. 10-point comeback to take down Marshall. Let's go. Also, why would Marshall agree to an opening night game at Queens? That seems a little like bad schedule management. Um, but like they should beat Longwood, Maryland Eastern Shore, William and Mary, Hampton. I think they'll win. They at should least. beat Maine. They should, but Maine's a little more fringe. I think they'll win at least like six. I don't think they're winning the Sun Belt title. I don't. I was a little alarmed by the performance. I think they have some reasons to believe, but I do think. I was not on board previously. I'm on board with a little closer monitoring of, of the situation. How many numbers am I showing up to the screen right now, Bennett? It looks like a zero. Yeah, that's how many postseason tournament titles Sean O'Regan has won. That's so unfair, though, with the COVID year. That's what's <laughs> Oh, hard that's say. so unfair. What about his three years before COVID when he had Precious Hall and Kamaya Small? He had, like, he had, let me look. Let me look to make sure I have all of all this oh, it's so fair that he's only ever had one team that could win the CAA, even though he had so many more. He has been there a while. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he was there in, he was there in 2016, 17. Lost. They were 26 and nine. Cool. And they were runner up in the CAA title. Then they Lost got to this. Elon. Yeah. 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 I remember that. That was, yeah, you're right. That was Precious fashion. Hall. Then they, okay, so then they had Precious the next Hall year. and Kamaya. Freshman yeah, Kamaya. okay. The next year they were not very good, but they were young. They got to the WNIT third round. Then the next year they were pretty good. Got to the WMIT sen- semis, right? They beat Virginia Tech. Well, that was the year they got bounced in the first round of the CAA because, tournament. Yeah, but they because also of, like, because, no, 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 because your, your third option went 0 for 20 from three. That's coaching. <laughs> Give her the red light. <laughs> <laughs> but they, had, they did have so many injuries that but year. But they that, had, but that no, no, that no, tough. no. That, <laughs> oh my god! It was five and twenty-seven, by the way, which is absolutely <laughs> insane. <laughs> five of twenty-seven from three. Why do you not just get a sign that says stop? <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> That's All right. so that was bad. that was a tough one. I about this. I was really <laughs> trying to go. On, I was trying to go on the uh, defensive train. All right, but then no, the next year, the next year, year the next year, they worse. were actually a really good team. And yeah, then they had you're COVID right. hit, which was uh, suboptimal timing. You're right because that was the best team in arguably for the long time. But then I was then the next two after that they've they've been bad. So they've had like three iffy years and then a couple of disappointing conference tournament finishes. I just, if it's three, like iffy years in a row, I do become concerned though. This is a third if, iffy year. You think it's going to be an iffy year for sure? Yes. Based off of the comments off that game. Those are weird. I'll say that. And yeah. I like that he was candid. I like when all coaches are candid, but it also, it doesn't mean you have to like agree with the, it's just confusing to be, um, I don't know how you can have a season opener at home when you don't like the energy level. I don't know how you, know? you like blame the team for things that are coaching. It's a it's super. I mean, it was a winnable game, and if you have a whole off season, it's like, hey, we got to figure out how to either shoot the three better or scheme around it and not turn the ball over as much and have more assists. And then your first game, you're like, man, it, we look exactly the same. 
also if you know those are your issues, like you have to play better defense and to play good defense, you have to have buy-in. And I just don't know if there's buy-in with this team based off of what happened last season with some of the players, some of the players' parents. Like, I don't know how much of the locker room Coach O has right now. And and that's really not dangerous, but maybe a little weird for me to say as someone who's like not really around the program, but who's someone who's habitually on social media and sees what these parents are like writing to Coach O. It just seems like there's something weird. I'm definitely interested in, in seeing how this year goes. The other thing that I thought was um, interesting, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but they defensively seemed like more committed this year a little bit in terms of being like in defensive stances and stuff, including some players. But like from from watching UVA in the pack line, like one of the main things in the pack line is it doesn't actually force like an absurd amount of turnovers. They're just constantly like in your face. So they're not like jumping over passing lanes that they can't get into and overextending. They're just consistently in the right place, like forcing you to shoot threes basically, which is yeah. why it's so effective is they have like length that defends the rim and they're athletic, whatever, but they like, they don't actually force like a gazillion steals in the pack line defense. And you don't have to have your defense be like that. But so many times yesterday they were killed with like backdoor cuts repeatedly, or there would be a spot where it's like, you probably can't get a steal there and a player would like lunge looking for a steal, then be completely out of position. They would give up a layup. And it's things like that that feel like sometimes execution, but a lot of that feels like you got to scheme that and coach that where yeah. it's like, Hey, well, you can't be jumping every passing lane expecting to get a steal. Yeah. So it, it just felt weird defensively with them, like making what appear to be mental errors. And then they also had like a couple of times where they're really lazy and breaking the, whatever kind of press they were running. I forget exactly what it was, but they're running some sort of little press main was, and, and it kind of threw Jamie off with committing turnovers. So it, it feels like they have very similar issues, which is not a great opening night sign. Not at all. All right. Anything else you want to add? Quick Olympic sports thing really fast. Men's soccer are still live in the Sunbelt tournament. They played Georgia Huge State. Huge upset. Yeah. Huge upset over Marshall. So they're alive. They'll play Georgia State in the semifinals. Women's soccer fell to ODU and was kind of a sweet match in the championship. So their season's done, but a pretty good year for them making the conference finals. And then volleyball's conference tournament starts um, next week, but they're 13 and 1 in conference play. So they're, they've got a good shot at winning that. They also had volleyball had two um, pick up Sunbelt weekly honors. Yeah, two of the three weekly awards probably will wipe the floor with a few postseason awards as well when those are announced. So for Bennett Conlin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. See you at the ODU game. See you at the Georgia State game. Who would have thought we'd be going to back-to-back games at some point in this season? Um, until next week, you all have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.